Well, dear friends, it is my privilege to give the last of these messages on restoring our affection for the local church. It is fitting that we include when problems arise, how should we respond, because this is only being realistic. When all is said and done, if everything that we've heard thus far at its best could be realized in a local church and in every local church, we would find that there's no church on earth without its problems. And when we encounter them, we will need faithful and wise handling of those problems. There are reasons why there is no perfect church in this world. Firstly, because it's comprised of imperfectly sanctified saints. It's the fact of remaining sin, Romans 7, where Paul says, when I would do good, evil is present with me. And what he says of himself personally is true corporately in every local church. The fact of remaining sin means that problems can easily break out and you've got a situation like, for instance, in Corinth where plenty of that sort of thing happened and that church was a headache and a heartache to the Apostle Paul and needed two letters to it in order to help it to become right in its behavior. So imperfectly sanctified saints... And then, of course, the wiles of the devil, who is ever watching for any opportunity to capitalize on our sinful tendencies. And in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, the apostle there urges the members to receive back again that offending brother who was put out on the grounds of his true repentance, and the reason being because we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. If there were not that gracious handling of the situation and the receiving back of that member, then the devil could get in and could cause trouble in the church. The wiles of the devil. Let us never be ignorant of his devices. And then thirdly, the reason why there is no perfect church is because of the subtle ways of the world. If we are not governed by scriptural principles, worldly reasoning will prevail. And we do not think biblically. And so the apostle again in uh, his letter to the Corinthians chapter one, uh, sorry, chapter three and verse three of the first letter, for ye are yet carnal, For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men, as men only, human reasoning, worldly thinking. The subtle ways of the world can take over biblical spiritual thinking. And when that happens as well, there are problems arising in the church. So it's not so much then that problems arise, it is how we deal with them 
that counts. They can be overruled for good, but it is vital that they are dealt with and dealt with rightly. Otherwise, they will only grow worse and do greater harm. So how should we respond when there are troubles in the local church? Now, please bear with me, some of you brethren, because you are seasoned, experienced ministers, and I don't want to appear to be uh, talking to you uh, as if you don't know these things. I'm speaking as much to myself. But as we think of these things together, and I hope uh, these things will be helpful for church members as well, I want to speak of three things in terms of the response to troubles in the church. First of all, prevent. Secondly, resolve. And thirdly, let go. Prevent, resolve in the sense of um, dealing with matters. And thirdly, let go. First of all, then, prevent. On the grounds that prevention is better than cure. And the thing is that a pastoral ministry should create a climate which tends to make troubles between believers in the church the exception rather than the rule. What can we aim for in our pastoral preaching and ministry to prevent troubles happening in the first place? Well, when the word of God is rightly preached and applied, it exercises hearts and creates a unique spiritual bond and unity between believers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. When that happens through the applicatory ministry of the Spirit, uh, people's hearts are more disposed to getting on with each other in the Lord rather than falling out uh, with each other in a worldly way. John Newton once wrote of his pastoral situation at Olney in these words, We are quiet and happy at Olney. We know nothing about disputes or divisions. If you pass a flock of sheep in a pasture towards evening, you may observe them all very busy in feeding. Perhaps here and there one may just raise his head and look at you for a moment, but down he stoops again to the grass directly. He cannot fill his belly by staring at strangers. Something in this way I hope it is with us. Truly pastoral preaching, contented sheep. Secondly, Ensure as much as possible a regenerate membership, which is what a New Testament church should be. We've heard more than once that the uh, Greek word for church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which means called out ones and called together for an assembly. And so they are called out of the world to belong to Christ and to each other in church fellowship. As Watts put it, we are a garden walled around, chosen and made peculiar ground, a little spot enclosed by grace out of this world's wide wilderness. Now we know it's impossible to guarantee a regenerate membership in the visible church, but it's something to be aimed for, dear friends. 
And our problem over the generations has been easy believism, especially during the 50s and 60s with the Billy Graham mass crusades and people flocking to the front, signing decision cards, told to go to churches and assured that they were Christians, received into membership and even into office. And the problems that were caused as a result, in many cases, was simply that these people were not regenerate. They were not Christians and they caused trouble and would not be cancelled or corrected or helped because they didn't have it in them. They were not living Christians. They didn't belong to the living church of Christ. And so that must be, of course, avoided. And we must be so careful that every application for membership is lovingly but wisely, discerningly dealt with and approved uh, so that as much as possible a regenerate membership. And when you've got spiritual people comprising the membership, then you've got the uh, graces of the spirit and much less likelihood of trouble. And then thirdly, uh, chairing church members meetings. Uh, this, of course, can be a time when troubles break out. And as chairman, the pastor must do his utmost to convey to the members that this is not a business meeting. We are handling the Lord's business, but this is not just a business meeting. It's as much a spiritual meeting as the Bible study and prayer meeting, or even the Sabbath day services. Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. The context is a church member's meeting to deal with someone who wouldn't listen to an individual, wouldn't listen to others, and it must be told to the church. But Jesus is in the midst of the church members' meeting. And if it's approached like that, then woe betide any member who gets up and starts uh, causing trouble. Because the Lord is here. And so a book reading from the scripture after worship, prayer, and approaching it in the fear of the Lord. And that keeps the tone right. And if any brother or sister does speak out of turn, there must be zero tolerance. Graciously and firmly it must be said that the pastor disapproves of what has been said and the way it was said, and it must be withdrawn. And if it isn't withdrawn, he must say, well then, I disapprove of it, and it's going down in the minutes. And then you say, no toleration of that. Keep it spiritual. And then fourthly, faithful pastoral visiting. Proverbs 27 verse 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. And of course, hospitality as well. 1 Peter 4 verse 9. Use hospitality without grudging. And then if we know our people, and if they know us, it will not only help us with our application in the regular ministry, but it will also help to keep us close to each other. 
so that we can perhaps discern the beginning of problems before they get any further. We see the signs early, but lack of communication, lack of closeness can breed uh, suspicion and uh, uneasiness and all manner of other up, uh, imagining evil in the heart and so on. But faithful pastoral visiting, keep close to our people. And then fifthly, this is preventing it. Suppose you get an email, an objection, or a complaint. Well, rather than email back, go straight there and visit. And say, well, now, what's this all about? If you just fire emails back and forth, that's just going to make the thing worse. So go and see the person straight away. And always be warm and gracious in that regard. So to try to forestall things getting worse. So prevent then uh, the effect of pastoral preaching. Ensure a regenerate membership. Chairing church members meetings rightly. Faithful pastoral visiting and visiting rather than email correspondence. So prevent. Secondly, resolve. Try to resolve the problem when troubles do come. If they resolve rightly, it will make the difference between them being overruled for good or getting far worse and doing much more harm. So in order to do this, we must understand that members come in categories. What I'm saying is people come in categories. Firstly, you've got the kind who are always the same, never any trouble, dependable, consistent, always appreciative and committed, and they are a delight. And if every church member was like that, you'd almost have a perfect church and you wouldn't have the problems and the troubles. But we thank God for those who are like that. Then there are those who are quick-tempered. They've got a short fuse. Titus 1 verse 7, that's why such a man should not be an elder, not soon angry. Or James 1 verse 20, the wrath of men worketh not the righteousness of God. And such people need very careful handling. But the thing is that such people, they're soon up, but they're soon down again. And it doesn't last too long. And we must never, ever react the same or even be provoked. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath. If we fail here as ministers, we greatly undermine our spiritual authority and credibility. Never let it be said that any minister has lost his temper as bad as the man who attacked him. That would be terrible. Quick-tempered people 
but every minister, pastor, should be a slow-tempered person. And then the third category is this. Those who are not easy to really get to know. They're quiet and taciturn. They never seem to give themselves to you, no matter how hard you try to draw them out from your side and uh, get to know them. And then, of course, the trouble is you don't know what they're really thinking, do you? And there is greater potential for trouble from those compared with those who are quick-tempered. The quick-tempered kind are up and then quickly down and it's over with. But these who are not so easy to get to know and don't give themselves to you, if they are offended, they tend to nurse it. And it may well break out later in some shocking uh, trouble that you weren't expecting because it was festering all the time. These are the plotting kind who uh, have their agenda, but they don't give it away, but they uh, keep it for uh, a certain time when they think maybe they can start to introduce their ideas. And you've got to be very wary, dear friends, of such people. I think they're almost the most dangerous people of all, those that you don't really really know, but you only know them when they become troublesome and dangerous. And then fourthly, those who are governed by their moods, by how they are feeling at any time. If they're cheerful, then they're spiritual and encouraging. If they're down, they're negative and complaining. But dear friends, we must never be governed by our moods, but be governed by principle, scriptural principle, and the grace of the Holy Spirit. But uh, we know such people, and uh, they can be unpredictable. They're often very sincere, but they're almost prisoners of their own temperament and their own personality. And it's important to understand where they're coming from. And then fifthly, one further category, I think, besides those who are always the same and those who are quick-tempered and those not easy to know and those governed by mood, men who are carnally ambitious. It's remarkable, but in the history of churches, there have come into membership men who are undoubtedly capable men, gifted, able men in their professional sphere, perhaps, but they have this strange notion that they ought to have recognition in the local church and be appointed to office and even into the ministry. And seeking recognition like this, they hide it. It's not the call of God. It's carnal ambition. While ever they are accepted and they ask to give a 
to help a little, give a word here or there, and it's appreciated. They're very happy and contented. But when the time comes that it dawns on them that they're not going to be given anything more, because despite what they think of themselves, the rest of the church doesn't share uh, their high opinion. When it dawns on them that they're not going to be given any office, then they begin to cause trouble. And it's often by getting alongside certain ones and currying favor with them, getting them on their side, and sort of sharing with them how good it would be if I would be a pastor, and uh, that kind of thing, and their particular agenda that goes along with that. And they know the kind of people they can work on. They know that certain people who are always the same, they wouldn't listen to them. And other good people wouldn't listen to them, but there are some vulnerable souls of the other kind who are taken in. And before long, these carnal, carnally ambitious men have got a following. And then there are problems. And so, as Proverbs 13 and verse 10 puts it, only by pride cometh contention. And we might be tempted as pastors to yield to their subtle demands for peace. But if you do that, you've not only failed as the servant of Christ, but you've also allowed trouble to come into the church in the longer term. So these five categories then, there are more, but these five to watch out for in terms of being able to resolve problems as they arise. And secondly, in addition to understanding the categories of members, our great need of wisdom and understanding. James 1 verse 5 if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And chapter 3, verse 17, the wisdom that cometh from above, first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, and so on. And dear friends, it's true to say that next to one's personal holiness, the most important grace in a minister is wisdom. And the longer I've gone on in the ministry, the more profoundly persuaded of that fact. Oh, to have wisdom, discernment, understanding, insight, to be able to know how to handle people rightly, how to approach a problem in the best possible way, how to resolve a thing that's growing up Wisdom, pray daily for it. In 1 Kings 3 verse 9, Solomon said, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? And so we will grow in wisdom if the Lord gives it to us. How does this wisdom come? Well, first of all, be much in the word of God because scripture trains our mind 
and our thinking in wisdom, God's own wisdom. The book of Proverbs, of course. Read that book through a lot because you've got such God-given wisdom there to enlighten and guide and show the way. Be much in the word. And it's like a train on tracks. If, if you, through scripture, are taught to think biblically, then your mind runs along those lines like a train on railway tracks and you'll go the right way and you won't uh, come off. Scripture will keep you in wise thinking. Secondly, be much in prayer over a problem. You've got a problem. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 36 verse 9. In thy light we shall see light. The light of the Lord's presence when you're in prayer. Often you're given insight into the matter. You've, you're spreading it out before the Lord. You're telling him all about it. And even to anguish, crying to the Lord to guide, to help, to show the way, to, to help to make sense of this and to know what to say, what to do. And in that process, in the light of his presence, often the Holy Spirit, the remembrancer, will bring a verse to mind that will just fit the case perhaps, or some thought, or some idea, or some course of action, or some approach, and it will be given us. Sometimes we're so shut up in a, in a thing that just seems so intractable, unsolvable. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 12, where King Jehoshaphat says, Lord, we have no might against this company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And being shut up to that is a blessed place to be because we're confessing that if the Lord does not help, we shall not be helped. If God does not come in for me and show me what to say, what to do, how to handle this thing, it's only going to get worse and worse and you can plead with the Lord and say, Lord, it's thy church. This is thy people. Thy honor and glory is at stake here. Show me, show me as thy under-shepherd and, and, and as the pastor of this place, how I should approach this thing. Mine eyes are upon thee. And he'll not fail you, dear friend. And thirdly, ask another pastor whom you respect. After you've prayed, mind. Not first of all. But it's always helpful because in the multitude of counsellors, there wanteth not wisdom. And just to hear another supportive voice is a great comfort. Over the telephone even. Uh, a pastor whom you respect, a Christian person whom you respect, to share it and get their insights. And it could well be that that will be one way the Lord will guide you and help you in resolving this matter. Fourthly, in this need of wisdom and understanding, be prepared to apologize if necessary. 
It's part of Christian humility. And it's no undermining of spiritual authority because our authority comes from the word and the commission of Christ, not from ourselves. We've got no corner to fight. We've got no image to keep up, no infallibility. We're simply Christ's servant. And we are not infallible. Sometimes we make mistakes. It's not a, it's not a weakness, but a strength in that case to apologize. It will only imp- increase respect. I'm not saying that should happen too often. But in such cases where it's clear that we may have got it wrong, to apologize and the Lord, I think, will only uh, honor and bless that. If I may be personal for a minute, I've only done that twice in public and once in private over 40-odd years in the ministry. In public, when I said something rather rash in a sermon which caused upset to an individual and it was not right that I said it and the following Lord's Day I publicly uh, said that and uh, apologized for that statement I didn't lose out by doing that and in private once be prepared to apologize if necessary Thirdly, uh, try to win by kindness. Be kind one to another. By God's grace, love those who are causing trouble and show that you love them. Christian love is not feeling, it's action, isn't it? You may not like the person, And in your carnal nature, there might be everything that rises up in dislike, but that is not what governs. It's the principle of Christian love, which is action and shows by the way you treat them, how you speak to them, how you handle them, that there is warmth and kindness and the love of Christ. And if you have to reprove, do it gently and lovingly so that it won't if God blesses it it won't provoke but hopefully will melt and win remember 1 Peter 5 we heard this already not as lords over God's heritage but examples to the flock never be authoritarian or pulling rank I'm the pastor No, no, in the Lord's name and using the word, seeking to correct, to try to win by kindness. And of course, remember the order in scripture, in Paul's epistles, where he had to reprove people. And in our Lord's letters to the seven churches, where he had to reprove people, Paul and the Lord commended them first, didn't he? Thank God for them. I know thy works, thy patience, thy, so on. Start with the positive and then work round to the other thing, which has to be lovingly addressed. It takes that form 
in those wonderful words in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, where you have this. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. At the end of the day, if all that you've tried does not prevail with a certain individual, well, I've always found that Philippians 3 verse 15 has been a great comfort and has always been a hope to me. Philippians 3.15 Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded and if in anything ye be otherwise minded God shall reveal even this unto you. We've not succeeded in convincing from scripture with scriptural reasoning arguments otherwise minded they've remained ah but God can reveal it unto them and we hope and pray that he yet will in such cases where we've got to engage in a pastoral way with someone recalcitrant uh, someone opposed to us argumentative it's always good to have a little bit of humor sometimes because they're tense and if you're tense then it, it can be stilted and a bit sort of forced and difficult but on that visit that you make before you come to the matter just ask how they are how the family is how the job's going and approach it indirectly so that there's a bit of relaxing and then you can add a comment or two that's a bit humorous and they might smile then the steely look relaxes and the smile comes and then the sort of heat is taken out of it and then come to the matter in hand and it's a much better situation humanly then to address it it's, it's psychological sometimes but you see it's scriptural because we're human aren't we and this is the way the lord has made us and wisdom sees this and uh, acts accordingly and then fourthly in this seeking to resolve matters learn what to ignore and what to take up because there are some things that are less relevant but there are the more important things to address and it's possible as ministers to sort of be focusing on every little thing and dealing with it but you miss perhaps the point if you do that sometimes close your eyes stop your ears and deal with the one main matter maybe which might deal with all the rest as well and then fifthly in seeking to resolve distinguish between genuine infirmity and deliberate troublemaking what might lie behind a troublesome individual at any given time? They might be feeling 
rotten in their health. They might, or they may have a serious problem at home in the family and it's affecting them. And they're not receiving the help they should have spiritually and they're being adversely affected and so it's coming out in the way they speak and interact with others. So there sometimes is a genuine infirmity and you perhaps need to get to the bottom of that. But there is the deliberate troublemaking on the part of those whom I've mentioned earlier. They've got no problem really in their personal life or their family. They're just really carnal people who are out to make a name for themselves and even if they could take over the church. And then sixthly, I must hurry to a close, do not take things personally, dear friends. If you're called certain names, if you're accused of being this or blamed for not being that, don't take it personally. Because you see, what do we count? What do we matter? It's the Lord's church, isn't it? It's the Lord's people. It's the Lord's honor and glory. And so if we're made a mess of in our reputation, well, so be it. What does it matter? The Lord will answer for us. We don't have to justify ourselves. And, well, I'm sure it's true of some of us here, maybe many of us. The longer we're in the ministry, the more people are divided into two camps concerning us. There are those who love us and those who hate us. And those who hate us have got all kinds of names for us. But what does it matter? It's the Lord who matters, isn't it? Leave it with him. Watch your spirit. Matthew, Malachi 2 verse 16. Malachi 2 16. Take heed to your spirit. Make sure that you don't become cynical and disillusioned in the ministry. All I get is criticism. One complaint after another. These impossible people. These situations. My own personal problems and problems at home. I just can't. And you get all hardened and bitter. Take heed to your spirit. 2 Timothy 4 verse 22. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. And if he's there. A Christian spirit, a gracious spirit that will enable you to continue in the calling that you've received. Resolve matters as the Lord shall help. Because as ministers, we are Christians first before ministers. And we must be Christians in all that we are and do. Well, my third point, let go. And I've got to let go of this too, I think, because I've gone over time. But just let's say this. Let go. Sometimes, having done all we can to correct, win, restore, we may have to let people go from us. It won't be for biblical reasons that such members will resign it won't be because of heresy. It won't be because of immorality. Or it won't be because of any other more scriptural reason. 
but it'll be because they're offended or frustrated or thwarted or angry or something. Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. With some, you may never, ever win. If they go, it's a very solemn thing for them. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they are not all of us. And although no minister likes to see resignations, departures, you can't hold on to them. If they're minded to go, it must be understood as the Lord, if I may use this verse, Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. I use it advisedly, taking forth the precious from the vile. And the Lord himself removes people. Blessed subtractions to restore the unity of the church. The fallout can be painful. Going to another church, saying all manner of things about us and the church over which we are pastor. Usually they're received in another church, not so sound, without any questions. And the church believes their story. But you know, it often happens that such people who leave like that, no good ever comes to them. And they often come to spiritual grief in some way or other. And we are dismayed where they end up. But the Lord can make it up to us. And those who've gone, because the Lord has taken them, he can bring others through conversions or additions in other ways, abundantly making up for our losses and giving us gains in the end. Because there's a difference, dear friends, between people who are with us and those who are of us. And some people who are merely with are taken away. That those who are of are increased. And the church is the stronger for it. It's been a sifting time, a proving time, but the Lord has brought us through. And you know, it's for our sakes as ministers as well. I once heard Al Martin say, I believe God has put me into the pastoral ministry for my own sanctification. And the Lord has a work to do in us as well as in the people to whom we minister. So if you have come to a church where there is trouble, don't think that you shouldn't have gone there. Don't think the Lord has not called you there. Church troubles are not fatal. The Lord overrules such things and he can turn them for the greater good in the end. If you've been called, keep going, keep on keeping on until you, you are thrust out through forces beyond your control and then you must believe it's the Lord who's taken you out. But stay there and be faithful.
And in this matter of problems arising, seek to prevent, seek to resolve, let go when you need. And may God help us in these days to be faithful ministers of Christ and the best members any church has to the glory of his name. Amen.